Américas. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar coming to you after a weekend in which club football returns. Do you love it, Herc, or what? I know you're excited. Your Aguilas are flying. Look at you. Look at you. Absolutely. You're glowing. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for that. Yes, uh, América with another big win, 2-1, uh, against Puebla over the weekend. Got them uh, that top spot in the Liga Mekis standings. We got a lot to talk about, uh, Herc, in this show, including Liga Mekis. We got playoffs all over the place, right? We got the playoff field set in Liga Mekis and in the National Women's Soccer League. We got the playoff chase to be concluded this coming weekend in Major League Soccer. Decision Day, of course, uh, going down on Sunday. And our good friend and colleague, Jeff Carlisle is going to join us uh, as well. He has the latest on the Sally Yates investigation into the abuse scandals from across the National Women's Soccer League a year ago. But, Herka, let's kick the show off with a Americans Abroad version of Run It Back. Okay, Americans Abroad, Run It Back. We're going to start with Christian Pulisic. Didn't get a lot of time, but made the most of it. An 84th minute sub for Chelsea over the weekend in a 2-1 victory over Crystal Palace. He got the game-winning assist, setting up Connor Gallagher here. Connor Gallagher did a lot. A absolute golazo there as Chelsea got a, a big win. First assist of the season take for it. Christian Pulisic. You take it. Uh, Weston McKinney, he started. He played 60 minutes, and he had an assist as the Juventus won 3-0 over Bologna, nice cross to get uh, his first assist of the season. Third overall in a Juve shirt. Yeah, it's a sweet little cross on a dime. 60 minutes, an assist, a positive outing for Weston McKinney. All right, you expect those guys to get on the score sheet. Not so much for Walker Zimmerman, though. He got his fourth goal of the season, tying a career high. Uh, bad news is Nashville lost 2-1 to Houston on Sunday. Yeah, who is trying to mark him, by the way? Like, you got to get the biggest guy you can, maybe two on Walker Zimmerman. He's just got such a height advantage and not a bad header to the ball either. Fourth, baby. Despite the uh, loss, Nashville still clinching a playoff spot. And how about this guy, Ricardo Pepe, scoring in his second straight game for Groningen. It's a, a first-half goal and a 4-1 loss against Azed Agmar. Yeah, let me tell you what. It, it's also a golazo. A golazo. Everything that comes with it. All right, let's hear what uh, Ricardo Pepe had to say after the game. At least he scored a goal. Was it a difficult one? or? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was, you know, it was, it was a good goal. You know, it was a good goal. Of course, difficult. You know, two defenders on me. It was something that, you know, of course. You get rid of it. Well, one of them very soon. <laughs> and then this guy, you know, he wanted to, to, to foul me, but, you know, goals to go. So, you know, super important, I think. Does it matter to you how it looks like? No, 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 it doesn't matter. Goals to go. Let's go. How, how many goals do you, uh, what's your target this season? Oh, you know, I, I like to, to put um, high standards on myself, you know, so of course I want to go double digits. I think this is, this is really important for me and for my confidence. So, you know, I always like to, to aim high, you know, it makes me, it makes me better. Okay, Herc. Don't answer the question, Ricardo! (laughs) (laughs) Of these uh, bounce-back performances, as we're calling them, of course, uh, following the U.S. and its struggles during the international break, uh, which player needed it the most? Yeah, it's Ricardo Pepe. And not just because that news or that reporter or (laughs) that sideline reporter there uh, coursed him into some crazy answers. You you don't answer the question. You don't don't say how many goals you want to score. It's about the team. Hey, you like that confidence, though. Double digits. I like to hear it from Ricardo Pepe. I like to see it. I don't like to hear it. Talk is cheap. 
Um, but it's Ricardo Pepe because of who Ricardo Pepe was for this U.S. men's national team and because he's on the outside looking in mm. if we're going on. Who's going to the World Cup based on merit? Based on merit, at least in Greg Berhalter's eyes, he should go with who? Jesus Ferreira, because he loves Jesus Ferreira, because Jesus Ferreira has been scoring goals. He should go with Josh Sargent, because Josh Sargent is that perfect balance of what Berhalter is looking for, and also productivity, and also what the fans want. So you would assume he's there. And then Jordan Peefock, I mean, can you really keep a player that productive off the final list? So right now, it's Ricardo Pepe who's on the outside looking in. So in this very abysmal, very disappointing two-game window that he had with the U.S. men's national team, when he was given a chance... Not only did he barely touch the ball, but he didn't have one chance. Mm. He didn't have one opportunity to strike on goal. So when you do, so when you are away, you have to hey, make... Not like the other guys did. Not like the other guys had well, a whole lot of chances. Jesus Ferreira was on the field for like five minutes in the second okay. game and had a chance. Whether he made it or not, he got on the ball and had a chance. Okay. okay. There's something to be said about that. So if you're Ricardo Pepe, you have to feel it's out of sight, out of mind. What can I do to latch on into the mind of Greg Berhalter and this coaching tree, this, this coaching network here? Because it doesn't matter how the fans feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It's what that guy thinks. So it can't be out of sight, out of the mind. Did, you, did you feel like the, uh, the interviewer there was almost like disrespecting the goal a little bit? No, 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 not at all. It wasn't a little bit. All of it. Yeah. He disrespected okay. all of it. So I actually I actually think it's a great, great goal. To your point about a golazo, remember there was a, a comment from Greg Berhalter during the last international break that stood out to me about Ricardo Pepe. He said, he, we think that Ricardo Pepe can dominate the Dutch League. Now, remember, Greg Berhalter has gotten in trouble for using the word dominate uh, in a wrong or maybe premature moment before. Uh, but he said that about Ricardo Pepe when Ricardo Pepe had not done that yet. And this was the type of goal that maybe it's not skill domination, but I mean, physically, he dominated his opponent. He made a goal out of nothing. To me, that is a guy who was dominating his opponent. So I, I, I love Ricardo Pepe, the shout here. The one thing I would say is he went 11 months without scoring a goal, Herc. So how important can a goal be? Like clearly well, 11 months without two scoring two. one. It's now two and two. Assist and two goals and it keeps on growing. He dominated in the Greg Berhalter style. Mm. He scored a goal, but they didn't win. Okay. Uh, look, 11 months without a goal didn't keep him out of the team. I'm not going to go too crazy saying that, uh, that this goal certainly uh, punches his ticket for Qatar. No. So I'm going to say the person that needed the bounce back game the most, uh, and actually who I think took advantage of their opportunity the most, is Christian Pulisic. Now, as we said, it wasn't a big opportunity, right? He came on as an 84th minute sub for Chelsea, but he gets an assist. Now, just like people might say, oh, well, the goal from Ricardo Pepe was a scrappy one. It was an ugly one. I know there are some people that might say, oh, this assist for Christian Pulisic isn't all that much because it is Conor Gallagher who hits a worldie, and we'll fully acknowledge that. But this is a great, great play from Christian Pulisic, and it is exactly, Herc, exactly why he's on the field because he can drive at a defense when they're packed in. He can break that defense down. And in this case, and he doesn't always do it, and maybe this is a, a knock against Pulisic at the national team level. I, I know I've heard it from some Chelsea fans that he holds onto the ball too long. Here, he releases it just in the nick of time. He makes a huge play. And I think it proves to Graham Potter that this guy can make the difference in a game where you need somebody off the bench 
he proves it. So to me, uh, in terms of what it means to his club future, it's a huge six-minute cameo with a game-winning assist for Christian Pulisic. I think this was a huge weekend for Christian Pulisic as far as his future perk at Chelsea is concerned. Yeah, listen, nobody's putting into question whether Christian Pulisic is going to go to the World Cup or not. In fact, all those sons, Ricardo Pepe, are pretty much lockdown starters for the U.S. men's national team. That's not in question here, but who needed this? And I think mm. you may be on to something because if you look at where he was, even before getting on the field, it was 85, 86 minutes, and he's looking up, when am I going to get on? He finally gets on and, like you said, draws the defenders in, does what Christian Pulisic needs to do, and he's part of something. Hmm. So it's going to make Graham Porter think. It's going to make him think, what do I need to do to get this kid on the field if he's going to produce things that make goals happen? As insignificant or significant as you want, if you're on the field when goals are happening, that's an important thing. It's the first of many, and it only takes one to get things going. And plenty of opportunities coming up. This coming week is the first of six in a row where Chelsea have two games. So for each of the next six weeks, there's plenty of minutes to go around. First up, by the way, Chelsea against AC Milan. Maybe we get a little Christian Pulisic against Serginho Dest one-on-one showdown. Calabria's injured. Showdown. Uh, Wouldn't that be fascinating in the Champions League? All right, let's uh, keep running it back here, shall we? Because the Americans were busy over uh, the weekend. Malik Tillman. On the bubble, uh, he came off the bench and got an assist for Rangers as they beat Hearts 4-0. Yeah, get him warmed up because Liverpool's up next and they're angry. So I want to see this one. But it's important for Malik Tillman. He's still in that mix. He's yep. still in that mix for Greg Berhalter and the World Cup. Tillman entering this match as a sub. So did uh, James Sands for Rangers. Ethan Horvath gets a fourth clean sheet on the season for Luton Town in a 2-0 win over Hull City. Herc in the championship. Everybody keeps talking about Matt Turner, who's not playing Zach Steffen. But this guy, another clean sheet early in this season. He faced zero shots on goal, to be fair. So there's also that. Luton Town in ninth. Speaking of the championship, Zach Steffen, he got the start for Middlesbrough. That was the good news. The bad news is they lost to Coventry City. The worst news is their manager, Chris Wilder, he got sacked. It's never good. Watch out. Listen, this is live by the sword, die by the sword. You get this with Zach Steffen. Things that make him good, the way he plays out of the back, the way he plays that high line are also things that can be very scary for him. Middlesbrough, 22nd in the championship. Interesting story here. Jordi Mihailovic having a great season with Montreal. Secured that uh, big move to AZ, of course. Well, he was interviewed after his game this weekend. They beat DCU. Don't worry about that. (laughs) And he had some very honest comments about his World Cup chances. Let's listen in. I hope so. I hope so. I had a few conversations. um, Didn't hear what I wanted to hear. I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to say what we talked about, but but uh, and with the World Cup, um, it's a dream of every player to play and represent their country in the World Cup. And you know, when I came to Montreal and a lot of people said, you know, your national team career is going to be hit because you're coming to a market like Montreal, and I didn't believe that. And I worked hard and I played well and I got, I got a call up, but my injury kind of pushed that to the side. Um, with this World Cup, it, it was kind of a foggy thing for me because I was focused on you know solidifying what I wanted to do in my future with my club career and and I was really focused on my club situation more than anything and now that that's you know written in paper um, I could focus on playing and and hopefully if I do well in the playoffs uh, that that Greg will change his mind okay Herc we're calling it shots fired 
Is it? Yeah, it's shots fired because even though he didn't go into detail about what they talked about, what he wasn't happy about, he disclosed that they had a conversation and that what he heard, he didn't like. So mm. that leads us all to believe he's on the outside looking in. So if you're in a we conversation, knew that already, right? Yes, we knew that. But a player can't know that. So the player knows that. He knows where he lies with Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. So, but it's also shoot your shot because look at Delatore the exact same thing. The very exact same thing. And next thing you know, he's being called up with Greg Berhalter. And he solidified him, or himself, I should say, in that roster. So this is a way for Jordy to kind of say, hey, this is my piece. I'm speaking it. I'm making it public. You think I'm not part of this setup. You think I shouldn't be here. I think I should be here. He's shooting his shot, and I respect it. Yeah. I think kind of what you're getting at is uh, the squeaky wheel tends to get the oil, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe if you say, hey, remember me, remember me, they won't, uh, they won't forget about you. Uh, I, I'm interested in your point about him, like, breaking the code, right? That this is something that happens all the time. Obviously, national team managers talk to their players. But you really shouldn't say what those conversations are uh, in public. It is smart. It does keep him relevant. The bottom line, though, is does he actually deserve the call-up, Herc? Like, who would you pull out? Who would you take out? Does Mihailovic actually have a case to be in the national team right now based on who's in the team and his level of play? You saw the last window, those two games, where the midfield was non-existent. The second game, it got better because of Tyler Adams. But when you looked <coughs> at players who needed possession, looked at players who needed to drive the ball because Yunus Musa wasn't there from point A to point B, point C, there was no creativity. Mm. There was no player that felt comfortable with the ball at his foot. Here you have a player who feels very comfortable playing centrally with the ball at his foot. And in the final third is productive. So, yes, he should be in the mix. Yes, he can play over players. And the way things are going with players dropping like flies, this is a guy that getting his name out there, at least in Greg Berhalter's little orbit, something could happen. Actually, I'm with you now. Remember my big complaint after the game against Japan was how, like, technically inferior the U.S. players look. This guy has uh, all the technical skill in the world. Let's uh, update you on some health issues surrounding the U.S. men's national team. The injury watch. Here's a, here's a bit of good news. Christian Roldan is back. Uh, he started, played 76 minutes as uh, Seattle played over the weekend. A loss to Sporting Kansas City. More on that uh, later. But coming back from a groin injury, good to see him back on the field, Herc. Yeah, he's so important to Seattle's uh, success and the recent success they had over the f- last few years. He missed the last eight games. And in those eight games, the Sounders' possible 24 points could only pick up seven. Elsewhere, Tim Weah didn't play, but he was on the match day squad for Lille as they lost a 2-1 to Lorient on the weekend. Jonathan David got a goal uh, in the game. Lille currently sit eighth in the French table, Herc. It's a start. Foot injury kept him on the shelf. Now he's back. That's what you got to do. In case you missed it, Ted Lasso-mania continues. This is the uh, NFL game in London. Chris Richards, Matt Turner. From the men's team, Lindsey Horan of the women's team hanging with the uh, Ted Lasso cast. Did you see it? I did see it. Look at that. Jason Sudeikis, you got Coach Beard, you got everybody there. Look at Chris Richards. A little stash on him. Lindsey Horan, look, all right, I see you guys. Very, very cool. Yes, stars of soccer and the stars of the soccer television show, Ted Lasso, hanging out at the uh, NFL game. Who was it? The Vikings and Saints? That's Which right. uh, actually filled it, had a, a field goal thriller right at the end, the double doink. Uh, incredible stuff there. Uh, Chris Richards with uh, Coach Beard, very cool. All right, speaking of the U.S. men's national team, you might see Luca Della Torre on Sunday when Celta face off against uh, Barcelona. Della Torre played uh, 20 minutes this past weekend as Celta beat Betis 1 0.
Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Iligamaki's regular season in the books. Here's a look at the uh, table. America, Rayados, Santos, and Pachuca all top four. That means they get a bye into the quarterfinals. Five through 12 are into the repechaje or the play-in. Well, we got some fascinating matchups. We also have some fascinating questions that are still lingering after the conclusion of the season. Let's start with a team near and dear to Herc's heart, Tigres, who finished fifth. But some in our production team are saying they're actually the biggest threat to win the Liga Mekis title. Herc, do you agree? Uh, let me tell you why they think it's the biggest threat. It's actually the first team to reach 30 points and not be in the top four. Mm-hmm. That's how good of a tournament it was uh, for a lot of these teams in the top four. But they are the biggest threat to everybody in that field besides Club America. I mean, at this point, you have to be out of your mind not to just see what's in front of you. You've got a team who's undefeated in the last 12 in Liga MX. And the team that I think is the second biggest threat, they beat them in that mm-hmm. run. And they beat them soundly. America right now is the number one candidate. But Tigres, this Tigres, with the experience. And when I mean experience, I'm not talking about the player pool. I'm not because there's a very talented player pool. I'm talking about a decade's worth of winning. They're accustomed to making runs. They're accustomed to winning, to lifting trophies up. Then you go into the talent level that they have. Andre Pierre Gignac ending up with a double. They're heating up at the right time. And Miguel Herrera, who happens to be one of the winningest coaches in recent memory. Yes, they have everything to surprise Liga Mekis, Ligia, or pundits in Ligia, I should say, but right now it's America, then Tigres, then everybody else. Yeah, would it really be a surprise? Uh, Tigres had a, a run this season where they didn't look great, certainly in the attack, weren't scoring a ton of goals, but then lately they've really gotten hot. You mentioned uh, Gignac had a double over the weekend. They beat San Luis 3-0, so they do seem to be uh, coming in hot to this. I'm thrilled as an Americanista to hear you say that uh, that America is actually the favorite, that Tigres is not a, a big threat there to Las Aguilas. Maybe you think they're the biggest threat of uh, everybody else in Liga Mekis. If this were a tale of the tape, where would you give Ame the edge over Tigres? Because you're clearly giving them the edge. I'm giving, giving them the edge in their actual playing level. Um, I know exactly who Club America is. At times, mm. I don't know who Tigres is. They're very Jekyll and Hyde. Specifically, especially I should say with Miguel Herrera, sometimes you have a very 
offensive unit that and the wings creating uh, numerical, numerical advantages and they're all over the place and they're scoring goals. And other times you have a team that's like, I thought this version of Tigres left with Tuca Ferretti. So you don't know mm. what you're going to get. But you know what you're going to get with Club America. You know exactly where they're going to hurt you, how they're going to hurt you, and they still do it. Okay. Uh, the way the seating works out, they could uh, meet in the, what, semifinals. So very, very interesting if, uh, if Tigres do get to the semifinals. America do as well. What a showdown. That would be. All right, let's uh, focus on Cruz Azul now, Hercules. They finished seventh uh, in the table. At one point, I think they dropped as low as 17th. So they certainly uh, came back from the dead. They beat Chivas over the weekend 2-1 on Saturday. They'll face Leon in the repechaje. The big question here is, did their interim manager, Raul Gutierrez, El Potro, did he do enough to secure the full-time job? Yeah, he did. Uh, Potro did enough. And I also think this is a club that lacks stability. If mm. there's one thing that you, defines Cruz Azul, it's the instability or the inability to show consistency, not just on the field, but off of it. The coaching changes, the changes in personnel with the sporting directors, with the ownership. And when I mean ownership, I mean who takes over running said team because it's still under uh, one umbrella. All these different things are factors to why Cruz Azul has been struggling, not just as of late, but in recent future. And you once one could argue in the last... 20-some-odd years. Uh, but specifically now, Potro Gutierrez, yeah. he's a coach that he's shown you he could be an offensive coach. He's shown you that he can give that team that balance, and he trusts the domestic product. And I think that's been something that's lacking them. They've got a great Fuerzas Básicas academy program. They've got great domestic players. But somewhere along the lines, and we saw it with Diego Aguirre, that was lost. And when that gets lost, it goes out the window. The pressure mounts. You get all these uh, bad results. But he's a Coach, you can see the numbers right there. Five wins, one loss, one tie. He's pressed all the right right buttons to get these players going. You talked about uh, Tigres coming in hot, obviously uh, playing well towards the end of the season. Cruz Azul have won four in a row. So uh, in terms of teams peaking at the right time, you love what they've done. Uh, in terms of is it enough, I guess that is how big a job do you think Cruz Azul is and, and how good do you think Potro's resume is, right? Because he's, he's been around Mexican soccer forever, played in a World Cup, but the head coaching resume is, is very thin. He's obviously managed the youth national teams. Like, do you think he's a big enough name for this job, or is it a reflection of Cruz Azul at this point, just kind of has to take who they can get? Because I would at least think um, he's done a good job here, but let me see what he can do in Ligia before I, before I really give him the full-time stamp of approval. Yeah, that's that's not it. It's not about if this is too big of, of a job because you look at Tan Ortiz for exactly. your Club America and you would assume, like, he, he, they just shown you that this model, right. this road, can be achievable and can it, be, it can be productive for your club. So I would stay this road. Plus, he seems to be a guy that the players respect, they value. Uh, like a lot of those players, he's had to earn his way, and that goes a long way with these players. Okay, uh, production just whispered in my ear. Is it Ricardo Cadena uh, 2.0? Okay, so speaking, speaking of Chivas, let's talk about them. Of course, they lost to Cruz Azul over the weekend, uh, 2-1. A defeat which leaves them ninth in the table. It was a team of streaks this year. They uh, end up on a three-game losing streak. Before that, it was a nice unbeaten run. Of course, they started the season with a big winless streak. So, Herc, which Chivas streak is closer to reality for this team? It's the three-game losing streak. There you go. Um, and it really Tell them is, the truth. It really Tell is the truth. five games because somewhere 
sandwiched yes, in between those three games, you have the Cincinnati FC friendly 3-1 mm-hmm. and Club America friendly 3-1. We and, don't count those. Come no, on. no, we will count. Let me tell you why. Uh, <laughs> Let's look at the names of who they faced, okay? They mm-hmm. lost to Tigres 4-1. to They lost to Club America 2-1. to And then to Cruz Azul 2-1. to So when the competition got elite, when the competition or the moment got intense, Chivas showed us who they've been these last eight years. If you average their final landing spot in league mm-hmm. play in eight years, in that 16 seasons, it's ninth place. Guess mm-hmm. where Chivas is today? They're ninth place with 22 points. This is exactly who they are. They're a mid-table team, and when things get up to one notch, whether that's competition or whether that's level, they seem to fold. They seem to buckle. This is who Chivas is. Yep. I feel like I always hear from Chivas fans how much help America gets from the referees or the schedulers or the this or that. This is how much help Chivas gets. When Chivas dropped to ninth place, when they became a, a, a bottom Half team in Liga Mekis, they changed the playoff format so that Chivas oh, could be included in the on. postseason. No, no, what you just said, what you just said, if they're really a ninth place team and it used to be only the top eight go to the playoffs, really are. Chivas is not a postseason team. It's not a postseason team if not for the repechaje and the fact that Liga Mekis has by far the most inclusive playoff system you could possibly have when 12 out of 18 teams go, when two thirds of the teams in the league go. That's the reality for Chivas is, yes, as you say, they are average at best, mid-table at best. Uh, that's where they are right now. Do you, have, do you think they have any chance of making some noise in, in Ligue 1? I give oh, them I, no, zero, zero no, no, chance. No, 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 They have a chance for sure. Wow. They're playing Puebla, and, and Puebla's not exactly a team that <laughs> is scaring a lot of people. They, they don't lose a lot, but they don't win a lot. They tie a lot. And they've already beat Puebla this season. And I actually think Chivas has a team where in transition, they could be very, very good. They're very scary in transition. You just don't know which Chivas is going to come out. And okay. who knocked Chivas out last repechaje? Do you remember? Herc leaving. Herc leaving Do you remember? Chivas? No, what? It was Puebla. It was Puebla. And they're facing him again. All right. Uh, Herc leaving our Chivas fans there with some hope. There is. I, uh, I don't offer them so much as we head to the postseason in Liga. And Mackey's final question here, final lingering question about the regular season. Because we had some bitter disappointments. Pumas and Atlas each missed the playoffs. Pumas finishing 16th, Atlas finishing 17th. Who was a bigger disappointment, Herc, for you? This is no question for me. It's Pumas. Like, Atlas is coming off of two back-to-back championships. Big campeón. Uh, that's a lot of equity built in. Good faith with with that fan base, with pundits, with just a general footballing world, after seven years and not doing anything, they'll they'll get a pass, especially with the amount of injuries they had this season. But Pumas, okay. this is the first season because I've been saying they've been broke. I've been saying it's been terrible uh, a way uh, of administrating the club. It's the first season they've actually tried to invest money, mm. and in their first big bullet, they bring in all these crazy players. One of those crazy players is Danny Alves, and you're going to pay him three point five million dollars a season to be. A two-win team to have one more win than Club Querétaro, who's the league worst? This is really who one of the grandes, los cuatro grandes is? This is really what you've done with that investment? It is by far the biggest disappointment. Mm. It's a tough one for me, man. It's a tough one for me. It's a tough one for me. It's a tough one. Look, so I think 
I think if I could, if I could isolate Danny Alves, if I could isolate Danny Alves, then maybe it wouldn't be Pumas. But when you put in all of the hype that this team had when Danny Alves came, you thought for sure that they would at least be in the playoffs, maybe be even a little bit better than they were before, maybe have an opportunity to chase some type of trophy and some type of competition. But uh, obviously, that wasn't meant to be. You'd like to see Danny Alves remain competitive. I, I expected at some point Herc Atlas to come back to earth because I think they're a good team, but winning back-to-back titles was like a bit of an overperformance. I did not expect the drop-off to be this drastic. Um, and to see Coca fired before the season even ran out, I think to me was was shocking. If 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 I take the emotion of Alves out of it, I think I'm actually more surprised by Atlas plummeting to 17th. Do you disagree there? Yeah, I mean, like we're caught up in the hype of Pumas, but we we didn't think they were that good. Atlas won back-to-back titles; they'd proven they were really that good. Yeah, but they had no preseason, no vacation time. They had plenty of injuries to the captain Rocha, to to uh, uh, Julio Forge. Quinones missed some time early on. I mean, everything that could happen to this club did happen after two back-to-back championships. I, yeah, there's a little equity there that built up, at least in my mind. I give them a pass when you're comparing them to Pumas. Okay, so Pumas and Atlas, both of them. Missing the repechaje as, uh, again, only 12 of the 18 teams. I say only. That's a lot. 12 of the 18 teams in Mexico make the postseason. So here are the matchups for uh, 5 through 12, the play-in games coming up later this week. We got Tigres against Necaxa, Cruz Azul against León, Toluca against Juárez, and the aforementioned Puebla against Chivas. The winners advance into the quarterfinals. Hey, one more thing, Herc. From the category of you got CONCACAF. Did you see this? We got a ball boy getting sent off. All right, explain to me what I'm seeing here. <laughs> Should have been talking. Look at that. Jonathan Orozco talking to the ball boy. They get into it. No, la corta de manga. You can't do that to the referee. You're going to see red, my friend. When have you gone to a stadium and seen a ball boy get red carded? By Love the way, it. this game, Tijuana went from being 11th place, 20 points, to getting tied on 17 points, and they out. They're out of the repechaje. Ball Ooh. boy two. Heartbreak, heartbreak for Cholos fans everywhere, including those uh, on the production team here at Football Americas. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. 
With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Providence Park, Portland. Today, the setting for a potential coronation. If LAFC win here, they'll claim the Supporters' Shield for the second time in four seasons. Vela, with a bit of space, with an angle, and with a goal of the utmost quality. Whistle's gone, and to LAFC, the spoils. The supporters' shield for the second time in four seasons. All right, our time for our weekly check-in on Major League Soccer. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, LAFC in the most dramatic fashion. Clinching the supporters' shield for the second time in four years. They won it back in... 2019, they won it this year on the strength of a victory in Portland. 2-1, Dennis Bawanga, how about this? Oh, Herc, what a way to claim the shield. LAFC getting it done despite that wobble after the summer transfer window. Uh, LAFC with this result uh, and the fact that the Philadelphia Union couldn't get the job done over the weekend with the supporter shield. All right, Herc, so let's compare this year's LAFC to the last team that won it for LAFC, which was, of course, 2019. Uh, which team do you think is better? 2019. Hmm. And they didn't win at all. It's, yeah, you didn't ask which team is more likely to win it all. You asked which team was better. That team was better. 2019 team. Um, not only numbers-wise, because they were historic, uh, Carlos Vela was historic in it, 34 goals, 15 assists. But I knew exactly who they were. I knew exactly how they were going to hurt you. I knew exactly how good defensively they were. I knew exactly everything about them I needed to know. And what I didn't know didn't stress me or worry me that much. Now, this LAFC, too many questions to be asked. And of their biggest players, Gareth Bell. Christian Tello, Boanga, um, Kielin, for Steve Chirondolo, what's his best 11? Why has the team been so bad? Why have they only won, with this win, two of the last seven? Where has that offensive production gone? Why aren't they as dangerous as before? Why did you need to move so many pieces? Why did you need, did you need to change something that was already working? All these questions make it too unpredictable for me to even say, even though they're supporter shield in 2022, I can't even compare them to 2019. Hmm. It's not a question for me. I go back to that 2019 playoff team, and I just remember how shocked I was when Seattle beat them at Bank of California Stadium. Like, everybody in Major League Soccer thought that we were just going to have a coronation run, 
They had clinched the Supporter Shield very early on. Remember, they were going to have all their games at home. Everybody was pretty much planning for an, an L.A. run through the MLS Cup playoffs and then having MLS Cup actually in Los Angeles. Like, I know even we as a network in our planning, we're looking kind of forward to that. And then suddenly Seattle comes in and spoils the party. And I remember everybody being shocked that year. I don't think her. Even though on paper I think this team might be better, even though on paper they might be more of a favorite, of course it's easy to say that because hindsight we know that LAFC, LAFC team didn't end up getting it done. I would not be shocked if this team doesn't win it. I wouldn't even be shocked if they don't get out of the Western Conference because as you've said over and over, you know, right now they're probably not even your MLS Cup pick, right? They're no. not even your favorite. No, no, absolutely not. This team... There's a possibility that the Galaxy and LAFC could face each other right now. Look at you. Look at you. I would be salivating. You would be salivating. The networks would be salivating. Mm -hmm. That's a big game. I think the Galaxy probably feel better about themselves if they went into that game with LAFC. All right. So uh, LAFC then win the Supporter Shield. Uh, They get the job done with their victory over Portland. Uh, It also helps that Philadelphia lost 4-0 against Charlotte. All right. Now to the bad hurt. Uh, And we got a a couple things here. Your Seattle Sounders losing to Sporting Kansas City. What does that mean? That means for the first time since 2009, when the Seattle Sounders came into Major League Soccer, they are not going to the playoffs. That 13-year playoff streak comes to an end. The New York Red Bulls now with Major League Soccer's longest active playoff streak. More bad news, Atlanta United. That's right. Atlanta United missing out on the playoffs in the Eastern Conference as well. Herc, at one point, these were two flagship organizations, flagship franchises for Major League Soccer. Uh, which team do you think had a more disappointing, more of a fracaso in 2022? Ironically, both ended up with the same number of points in their respective conferences. And I believe, you know, Gonzalo was, I shouldn't say I believe, he was with Brian Schmetzer. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, I... Maybe Lots of connections here. A lot Lots of connections. connections. Uh, worst season, it has to be Atlanta. Because I could say injuries for Seattle, but Atlanta's had their injuries as well, right? Two important pieces. Atlanta to Brad Guzan, Ozzy Alonso, Miles Robinson. Big pieces. Miles Robinson, that's a big one, that's right? A, that's, that's a, a big that's one. That's a big one. Yeah. But I have to factor in for the Seattle Sounders the CONCACAF Champions League mm-hmm. and how much equity, how much credit that gives them in this season, even with right. the injuries that they've had. But when you look at Atlanta United, the phrase that comes to mind is dumpster fire. Hmm. But not just dumpster fire. Beverly hmm. Hills dumpster fire. <laughs> the collection of luxury pieces in this dumpster fire is what really gets to me. They've accumulated so many luxury pieces, and it's the same thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. For whatever reason, and and not only that, the incidents on and off the field, Mm. everything we're hearing about Joseph Martinez, the most high-profile player in Atlanta United history, in a head-to-head with not only Gonzalo Pineda, but now the front office. Any way you slice it, the worst season is Atlanta United. Right. Atlanta United uh, losing over the weekend 2-1 against New England. A golazo, a golazo from... Golazo. From Joseph Martinez, wow, maybe uh, sending a message to everybody there. You wonder if it's if it's the last time we've seen him score in an Atlanta uniform. It seems like, very clearly, there's a rebuild coming in Atlanta. At some point, uh, if not next season, you're going to move on from Joseph Martinez. How far do you think we are from a rebuild in Seattle? Um, because I know you could just say, well, they, they won the CONCACAF Champions League. 
okay, bad season, you missed the playoffs once. But it's an, it's an aging roster. At least it's an aging core. And at some point, you're going to have to turn that over, right? How far are we from that? No, you're not far at all because you have to trust your players. And, and this year, lots of different players missed time for different reasons. Injury being in that, you got players like Joao Paulo, uh, DP, who misses time. The guy who's going to come in and replace him, 16-year-old wonder kid. Obed Vargas breaks his back. He misses the whole season. And in front of them, you have guys like uh, Nico Lodeiro, who actually had a good season, but not exactly uh, in his prime, uh, entering the twilight of his years. Raul Ruiz Diaz, who's your goal scorer, who wasn't available practically the whole season. So at some point, and you look at the bench guys like Will Brown, guys like Freddie Montero, at some point you need to refresh that team. But they're also bad decisions. Bad decisions in the way you trust the youth, and I'm talking about Brian Schmetzer, bad decisions in, in, in tactically in who you play and where you play him. I'm talking about Ruznak playing as a double six, that double pivot that clearly uh, doesn't suit him as much as being closer to goal in that eight roll or a ten roll. There are things you need to do to refresh this team. It happens on every single team. You need to get younger. That's the only way you're going to get better. These players aren't forever. Evidence of that, some of these injuries. Okay, so Seattle and Atlanta, Herc, found out they'd be missing the playoffs this past weekend. D.C. United, uh, yeah, they've known for, for quite some time. They are the subject of this week's Ugly. Why? Well, not just for another loss. Yes, this one won nothing against Montreal on Saturday. Own goal there, the difference. No, because D.C. United has clinched the MLS wooden spoon for the fewest points in all of the league. DC United, my beloved, black and red, dead last place. Oh, Hercules Gomez. Who's to blame here? Who's to blame for my my DC United falling apart? Uh, I'd love to say you. I I, I want to get your take. I'm just going to say they scored a legal goal, 34 goals. Only San Jose came, mm-hmm. had more goals against 67, D.C. had 66 against, and they lost a league-high 20 games this season. The floor is yours. Okay. So, right. D.C. United, being a D.C. United fan is not easy, right? It it hasn't been easy. But we can't really act all that surprised, Herc, that D.C. United finished uh, last. Why is that? That's because this is the third time in the last decade that D.C. United has finished, Herc, with the fewest points Uh, in all of Major League Soccer. Now, I know what you're thinking. What happened a decade ago? Well, two things happened almost exactly a decade ago. One, yes, I left D.C. United. I was an employee at D.C. United in 2012, and I left. But that is not why the struggle started in 2012. Also, right around this time in 2012, Jason Levian took over as the owner of DC United. And so as a DC United fan in the Jason Levian era, you basically know that one out of every three seasons are forget making the playoffs, forget the postseason. There's a very decent chance that you are going to finish last in all of Major League Soccer. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, what about the players? What about Wayne Rooney, the coach? Uh, what about Dave Casper, the head of soccer operations? What about all those people? If it was just the soccer team, If it was just the soccer team, I'd point to them and I wouldn't point to Jason Levian. But they have the worst, the worst stadium in Major League Soccer. The worst new stadium by far in all of Major League Soccer. If you want to find some old dump and compare it, that's fine. But of the new stadiums, it is by far the worst. And beyond that, Herc, the worst 
in-stadium experience atmosphere that you could possibly find in MLS. When I see problems like that, that are as widespread, that it's not just on the field, it's off the field as well, I got to go to the very top. So you want to know who's to blame for DC United's struggles? Look at the guy that owns the team, Jason Levian, who, by the way, also owns Swansea. He bought them when they were a Premier League team. Now they're a middle-of-the-table championship. So he's got a track record, Her, What do you know? Yeah. Uh, all I heard was I left DC and they've been terrible since. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not saying. I'm, I'm just saying I did leave in September of 2012. Uh, and three times since then, uh, DC United have finished uh, with the fewest points in all of Major League Soccer. All right, uh, what's next? Ah, Decision Day. That's what's next on Sunday. Coverage starts at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2 and ESPN Deportes as we cover the final day of Major League Soccer's regular season. Do not miss it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Big news this morning as the findings from the so-called Sally Yates investigation were announced. This, of course, hurt the investigation led by the former deputy attorney general into the widespread allegations of abuse that surfaced last year across the National Women's Soccer League. Now, according to the report released today, the investigation revealed a league in which abuse and misconduct had become systemic. The report also claimed that abuse in the NWSL was rooted in a deeper culture in women's soccer beginning in youth leagues. Let's get some reaction to this. We'll start with the aforementioned Sally Yates, who headed up the investigation, and then we'll hear from current U.S. soccer president, Cindy Parlo-Cohn. Now, when we began this investigation, we didn't really know what we were going to find. You know, perhaps Mana Shims and Sinead Fairley's experiences with Paul Riley were, were isolated incidents. But sadly, that is not what we found. Our investigation over the past year has revealed a league in which abuse was systemic. Verbal and emotional abuse and sexual misconduct occurred at multiple teams, was perpetrated by several coaches, and affected many players. We also found that these issues were not unique or new to the NWSL, that some coaches' misconduct dates to prior professional leagues and even some to youth soccer. Sexual misconduct included everything from sexually inappropriate remarks to harassment to unwanted sexual advances and sexual coercion. I found the whole report um, challenging to read. Um, 
you know, obviously this is near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I've been a part of this game all my life um, and been in it from the youth all the way up to the professional level and an international level. And so um, the women's game is really important to me and to and many of the players in this report. I know uh, many of them I coached um, and I found the whole report shocking um, as I did your initial report um, as new things come up. And, you know, I just found it really maddening um, that players had to go through this. Worth noting, of course, Cindy Parlocone managed the Portland Thorns before Paul Riley in 2012. And 2013, if we look at some of the other uh, notable findings, uh, I took this from the report. It was pretty striking. Quote, teams, the league and the federation not only repeatedly failed to respond appropriately when confronted with player reports and evidence of abuse. They also failed to institute basic measures to prevent and address it, even as some leaders privately acknowledged the need for workplace protections. All right, for more on this, let's welcome in to Football Americas, a gentleman who's been covering it for ESPN. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, great to have you back on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, so there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, 173 pages total, Jeff, in this report. What's your kind of biggest takeaway if we want to look at it big picture? Well, for me, the biggest takeaway was just how broad and deep the investigation was. I mean, we, we had heard reports of Paul Riley. We'd heard reports on Rory Dames. Um, but he, this investigation went even deeper um, and even deeper into the the behavior of, of the Portland Thorns, um, you know, how they, they gave Paul Riley a, a glowing recommendation. That had been reported before. But, you know, they seemed to pin the blame on, on Manish Shim, who was one of Paul Riley's accusers in Portland, that Basically, she put him in a, in a bad position, that it was somehow her fault. And uh, Gavin Wilkinson said he would hire Riley again in a heartbeat. So mm-hmm. those details were new. But for me, the biggest bombshell was what took place in Louisville with Christy Holly and the allegations that he he groped one of his players on multiple occasions. Um, everyone knew that Holly had been fired, but the reasons behind it had, had been kind of kept under wraps. And lo and behold, uh, the allegations were, were very serious, uh, just awful, awful situation that that and uh, awful behavior that he perpetrated on uh, one of Louisville racing Louisville's players. So um, and then also for me, another big takeaway was just how the Chicago Red Stars, the Portland Thorns and racing Louisville to varying degrees did what they could to impede the investigation. Um, you know, racing Louisville kind of hid behind a, a non-disclosure agreement. Um, but, you know, both Chicago and Portland said, oh, well, there's attorney-client privilege. You know, we can't discuss that. Um, you know, Chicago was, was slow to produce documents. So uh, that's really troubling because publicly they've said, yeah, we're going to do everything we can to help this investigation. And instead they uh, – they tried to throw some roadblocks in front of the investigators uh, on Sally Yates' team. Jeff, what does this report tell us about U.S. soccer's responsibility in all this? Well, it basically says that they turned a blind eye to a lot of what happened. Um, you know, you think about Sunil Gulati, Dan Flynn, um, Lisa Levine, you know, when she was the the, the general counsel for the, for the USSF. They knew of these 
these reports, these incidents, and uh, really didn't do any diligence at all in terms of, of trying to get to the bottom of it, in terms of, you know, trying to hold coaches accountable. Um, so, yes, this was a failure on the NWSL's part. This is a failure on the team's part, but this is also a failure of the USSF. Um, you know, you can say that all of the executives that, that were mentioned, uh, or all the USSF executives that were mentioned in the report are no longer there, but it still gives you pause that the Federation really let the players down in this instance and in multiple instances. Uh, so you mentioned uh, the glowing recommendation that, that Gavin Wilkinson uh, gave Paul Riley when he was uh, looking for work, eventually found it with the uh, Western New York Flash uh, in the National Women's Soccer League. That was, you know, one of the shocking things, a shocking detail, even if we already knew that, uh, that came out in this investigation. Something else I found very interesting is just how long uh, concerns about Paul Riley uh, have been on the record. There's evidence that going back uh, as far as 2014, even somebody like Sunil Gulati, like the president of U.S. soccer, as high up as that, uh, would have known both from reports from national team players uh, and then, Jeff, also because of an anonymous survey conducted amongst NWSL players, uh, that there were very serious concerns about Paul Riley. And yet, as you say, nothing seemed to happen. So who are the individuals, the leaders who are being identified um, in this report? And then are there any sanctions coming either for the organizations or, or the individuals uh, involved? And I guess the question beyond that is, is who is policing um, all of this, if indeed it is the U.S. Soccer Federation that's, that we are investigating? Well, certainly, you know, the, the USSF executives that I mentioned, you know, they're, they're, they're prominent in the report and, and, and bear some responsibility. Also, the owner of the Chicago Red Stars, Arnim Whistler, uh, Merritt Paulson is the owner of the Portland Thorns, uh, Gavin Wilkinson, you know, all, all of those individuals, you know, bear some responsibility for, for what took place and, and for basically obscuring the reasons why, uh, in, in, in the Thorns case, why Paul Riley was was you know allowed to basically resign, and, you know, with not necessarily a glowing recommendation, but he was uh, he was basically allowed to to move on to another job with Western New York Flash. Um, in terms of discipline, in terms of sanctions that that these individuals might undergo, I mean, that's the big question I think going forward. I mean, Cindy Parlacone has been asked about this. Uh, she says the Federation really doesn't have many options in terms of uh, sanctioning individual owners or executives. That's really going to be the purview of the NWSL. And I think that's the big question going forward, because there does need to be accountability. Yes, the coaches have been fired. Yes, the executives have, have moved on. But you know there are still owners and, and team executives that are still working in the NWSL. And... There needs to be some accountability there. there. There needs to be some real teeth behind some sanctions. Otherwise, I think the perception among the players is that everyone's going to get away with, with you know, what they got away with. There, there's not going to be any consequences. And I think that will be bad for the NWSL moving forward. Yeah, it's an unfortunate motto. We could influence it but not enforce it. Uh, in this report, contained recommendations of what... Soccer could do moving forward. Uh, what are some of those rec recommendations and how soon until we can actually see some of those uh, enacted, be enacted? Well, some of them have already been enacted. Um, you know, the USSF has created a committee, you know, granted that can be kind of a dirty word uh, in, in terms of corporate bureaucracy, but um, they have created a committee to make sure that uh, the recommendations of the Yates report are, are followed up on. Um, 
you know, and, and there have been some some positions created, I think, to kind of streamline the reporting that goes on in terms of, you know, who has to, you know, who gets to hear about coaching abuse? Who who's the person to follow up on that? Um, but again, it's it's and and then there's also, I think, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, the coaching licenses, I, you know, there's going to be some changes in that. It's going to be more of a an annual recertification as opposed to just a diploma that you get once and then it's it's kind of good for the rest of your life. So, uh, you know, and there there'll be some transparency. I think um, there's going to be improved vetting of coaching candidates, uh, you know, they're going to have to pass a background check. I mean, sometimes that was done in the past. Sometimes it wasn't, uh, certainly in the case of Christy Holly, it, it was, it was a pretty lax background check. It was really word of mouth, word of word of mouth recommendations that got him the job. So, uh, you know, you'll see some improvements there, but again, I think accountability is going to be key. Um, and that's going to be the big question going forward. I mean, You've got some new owners in the NWSL, you know, Alexis Ohanian with Angel City. You've got Chris and Angie Long in Kansas City. Uh, they're investing an awful lot of money in their teams and in this league. And I don't suspect that they're going to be willing to just stand idly by while, uh, you know, improper behavior takes place and, you know, covering up for, for, for coaches who abuse their authority. Um, they're They're business people and they want to make sure that they're, their business, their investment is protected. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see, again, what that newer generation of owners is going to do about this situation. All right, Shirley, uh, plenty more to come on this story. And when we need to call on someone, we know who the man is. It's Jeff Carlisle. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. Jeff, thanks for joining us here on Football Americas. Anytime, guys. Okay, time to check the mentions for more reaction on the release of the Sally Yates investigation. This is from Cindy Parlocone, again, the president of U.S. Soccer on Twitter. She called the findings devastating and infuriating. Says she is, quote, deeply committed to change. What about the NWSL Players Association? They released a three-part statement, which in part uh, calls on U.S. Soccer to heed the recommendations from this report. The NWSLPA, not the only players association speaking out on this. They were joined by the uh, U.S. Women's National Team PA. Uh, longer statement from them, but something I found interesting is they say they were dismayed that some NWSL teams and USSF staff impeded the investigation. That from the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association statement on the Sally Yates investigation. And this from former national teamer Sydney LaRue and her Twitter account. It's my belief that when serious allegations are brought to you and you ignore us, you should have absolutely nothing to do with this sport ever again. Uh, period. Again, those are the thoughts of Sydney LaRue. Plenty more of this coming tomorrow. E60 Truth Be Told, the story of the NWSL's 2021 season debuts on Tuesday on ESPN and ESPN Plus at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Set your DVRs. Programming not to be missed. All right, let's check in on the action from on the field in the NWSL over the weekend. Last weekend of the regular season, the Shield was up for grabs. Now, Portland went into the weekend in the driver's seat, but they had a crazy game against Gotham FC. Game ends in a 3-3 draw, so despite a uh, brace from Sophia Smith, Portland 
drops critical points, and that opens the door for O.L. Reign, and uh, they did not miss a step. O.L. Reign beating Orlando 3-0. Megan Rapinoe with the game winner, the first uh, of those three. And as a result, O.L. Reign win the Shield by one point over the Portland Thorns. Congratulations to Megan Rapinoe uh, and company. Congratulations also in store for the Chicago Red Stars, who grabbed the last spot in the postseason. Thanks to their victory over Angel City, and thanks to this well-taken golazo uh, from Mallory Pugh, who continues her red-hot form as the season progresses. San Diego Wavo, no goals uh, over the weekend. They played to a scoreless draw uh, in their game, but Alex Morgan is your golden boot winner for the NWSL season as she finishes uh, with 15 goals on the campaign. Second place, Sophia Smith with 14. Uh, San Diego playing to a scoreless draw with North Carolina over the weekend, and that leaves the playoff bracket like this. It'll be O.L. Reign and Portland who get the bye into the semifinals, quarterfinals matchups, Kansas City Current against the Houston Dash, and the Chicago Red Stars against the San Diego Wave. You see, those quarterfinals aren't until October 16th. That is because... There's an international break coming up in the women's game, and we got some huge games, huge games. Of course, the USA-England at a sold-out Wembley. That's coming up on October 7th. And then on October 11th, it's the United States against Spain. Coverage starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2 and, of course, streaming live on the ESPN app. Parting shot, Inter-Miami. By the way, shout-out to Inter-Miami. They've turned things around, huh? Uh, Gonzalo Higuain announcing his retirement at the end of the season. Herc, of course, uh, came to Miami with huge expectations as a designated player. Now that we know when he's calling it quits, do we think of Higuain's stop with Inter-Miami as a bust or not? I I can't call it a bust. Ah. Let me tell you why. It's not a debate of if Higuain felt Inter-Miami. But it's more if Inter-Miami failed Higuain. He's okay. a productive player. He scored in almost half the games he's played for. And congrats on an amazing career. And don't let anybody tell you it hasn't been. Um, scored goals everywhere he's been. Rao, Juve, River, etc. Whatever the case may be. Uh, has played in Champions League finals. Has played in Copa America finals. Has played in a World Cup final. This is a top-level talent. And if you would have provided the right amount of players or quality around him, he could have scored so many goals for you like he's doing right now. It's a shame because much like of his career, because the producer just came into my ear, doesn't score in these finals. He may not get a chance to be in a final in Major League Soccer. But that's not really on him. That's on Inter-Miami and everything everything that was David Beckham, Jorge Mas, uh, pre-Henderson era. All right, a disastrous first season form in 2020. One goal, two assists. In, Nine games. Uh, less, right, less than 10 games. So we cut him some slack there. You, you know, 2020 was a, a, a bad year for everyone. 2021, 12 goals, seven assists. Not bad, but not like maybe DP production. 14 goals, three assists this year. I kind of want to give him an incomplete. starts. For me, it totally depends on whether they make the playoffs. Like, if they make the playoffs, and let's be honest, over the last couple weeks, he's been carrying them. Uh, If they make the playoffs for the first time and he's the guy 
carrying them to really, truly making it to the postseason in a meaningful way um, for the first time. I think that's that's something the that, real playoffs, not the playing game. Right, right. We won't call it like a boom. We won't say it was a great signing, um, but maybe, maybe Herc, we won't call it a, a, a bust if they make the playoffs. We'll have to see if they do it though. Still, uh, right now seventh on the line, on the line uh, in the Eastern Conference playoff standings. All right, uh, plenty to come on Thursday's edition, Herc, of Football Americas. We will, of course, be back. And as you can see right there on the screen, we'll be joined by Derek Ray. We got a lot to talk about as far as Americans playing in the Bundesliga, but of course, we also have uh, Der Klassiker to preview as well. And we will have a full preview of the Repechaje, the play-in games down in Mexico uh, taking place over the weekend. Don't miss it. Football Americas, Thursday, same time, same place, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then.